Hey there, Colliders. It's Warren Hayes. <laughs> Hello, how are you doing? It's time for the EW Collision review here on YouTube.com slash Mr. Warren Hayes in your favorite podcast application feed. How you doing? Hope you're having a wonderful weekend. Hope you're getting your fill of pro wrestling because there's a lot of stuff going on, including this one here. You know, uh, it's inarguably the biggest collision that AEW has put on since uh, since the first one, since the return of one Bill Phil to the company. Uh, and um, and it is there is a lot like you know we had one big match. There's a lot of stuff that happened. Maybe not the most eventful like in multiple things happening, but there's still quite a bit of stuff happened uh, that that happened here. Plus, on top of that, a fantastic. Uh, a world-class premier tag team match that we are, of course, going to talk about. But before we get into it, I want you and you and you to leave a like if you're watching this on YouTube right now and maybe subscribe if this is the first time you pop in. That would be very much appreciated. And uh, you can also uh, leave a, uh, a, a five-star rating on Spotify or a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you're listening to this on your favorite audio device uh, application thing. Uh, all these things help grow the podcast tremendously, and I would appreciate it if um, if you could show just a, a a mere modicum of support that way. That would be extraordinary. But uh, look, we can just really get into it. the uh, The July fifteen uh, edition of Collision that really rhymes. I'm I'm, I'm spitting bars, and I don't even realize it. Uh, plus, uh, you know, I, as per usual, I am recording this on the Sunday on July 16th. So, you know, it's a next day review. Had time to think about it, parse things through my brain. And then on top of that, you know, going through the G1. My G1 coverage has started, by the way, if you're interested in that. It's right here, uh, wherever you consume the Mr. Warren Hayes show. We're, we're, we're in for a treat. It's going to be a good one. So uh, do that as well. But listen, back to Collision. July 15th from Calgary, Alberta. In the Scotiabank Saddle Dome, 5,835 tickets distributed as per uh, WrestleTix just before I started recording this. Set up of 6,145. It's what? The Saddle Dome is a 14,000 seat arena, 16, something like that. Uh, so, you know, they got close to their setup. Uh, one of the most successful dates that they've had on the Canadian tour, uh, no doubt. And this was a this was a great crowd. This was a crowd that was into not just professional wrestling. They were into AEW. They they were excited to have an AEW show in, in their town. I can pretty much guarantee that Calgary is going to be a destination uh, for, uh, for AEW uh, moving forward. I mean, outside of Toronto, they're coming to Montreal um, in a few months uh, during the end of fall, start of winter kind of thing, right? Isn't it November? Look, it doesn't matter, Warren. But yeah, you know, the Calgary crowd was really into it. They were excited about it, and uh, and it worked out. I thought we, I think we got ourselves here a good collision show uh, that had lots of things happening in it. Great wrestling, like I said, but also had Ian Riccoboni stepping in for Kevin Kelly, um, who uh, <laughs> who even donned a, uh, a a pink suit with a with a a matching cowboy hat. I thought that was fantastic stuff. And uh, look, I mean, I, I know there's like a general, there's like a general uh, 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 thing going around that uh, Kevin Kelly maybe isn't doing, you know, isn't coming across as that great. He isn't fantastic. People don't, people don't seem to be latching on to Kevin Kelly in the uh, on Collision over the past four episodes. Whereas Ian last night, he just, you know, blew everything out of the water he was I think he was irreproachably good and um and the uh you know the 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 rumor going around the story going around is that uh is that now Ian has been offered a full-time contract with AEW he uh has also um he was also offered the job to uh to play by play collision but he off but he Declined saying, you guys should offer it to Kevin Kelly first, who is, uh, well, not for all intents and purposes, is Ian Riccoboni's mentor. And uh, so that's how that happened. But now, you know, since Kevin is in Japan calling the G1, uh, Ian is over here 
uh, subbing for him. And I mean, there is a difference. There is an unquestionable difference in the styles between the two, which I like them both. And I think Kevin Kelly is a fantastic, fantastic uh, um, uh, play-by-play guy. Ian, I think, has a lot of sensibilities that a lot of North American viewers really uh, attach to. Uh, I think he's more of a classic type play-by-play guy, even in regards to other sports, not just pro wrestling. Whereas, um, whereas Kevin has um, Kevin's knowledge of the business and his broadcasting expertise is uh, you know unparalleled, and uh, he's um, well he has a different vibe to him. But then he's been doing you know New Japan for what five to six years at this point when they started doing uh, English broadcasts on. Um, when they started doing English broadcasts on uh, on World, and they realized that Jim Ross wouldn't be able to keep up, that's when Kevin popped in. And I mean, it's a different beast. The way things are broadcast in Japan, especially on World, as opposed to a live TV with commercial breaks and so on and so forth, like it's a whole different beast. The stress level is completely different. Now I've talked about it before. Kevin Kelly in Japan can just basically sit down, put his headset on, get all his notes ready, and then. Let a flow, let a stream of consciousness flow if he wants to. That's not, I'm not saying that's what he does, but the flow is much different and they're much more focused on the story as opposed to here where it's a North American cable TV show where they're promoting, they're cutting to commercials, there's all sorts of stuff happening, whereas Kevin just has to focus in the ring when he's in New Japan. So, I mean, the, you know, there's, there's things that he has to relearn, things that he has to unlearn, um, but Ian is just on the ball. He is, uh, incredible and fantastic. And yeah, it does sort of put into question, do we want Kevin Kelly back? I personally, I, I, I like them both. I think they bring two, uh, distinct energies and, uh, 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 propositions to the table. It's completely different. And I like them both. I like Kevin's more... And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You know, in in contrast to Excalibur's high octane play by play style on Dynamite, coming in with Kevin Kelly, who is you know who feels more laid back, doesn't let himself get overwhelmed, stays in control, stays focused on on, on the right stuff. Uh, I feel like he's like he helps contribute to collision having its own different style, if that makes sense. That's why I, I'm I'm keen on Kevin Kelly staying on collision. But hey, as they like to say in the business, we'll see what happens. So the show opened up and it, I mean, the, you couldn't have opened it up with anything else. Let's be honest, the AEW World Tag Team title, best two out of three falls match where FTR defeated Bullet Club 2-1, to one, of course, to uh, get, to to retain their titles. I liked the match. I liked it a lot. We, we can get, you know, we, we, we can start to disagree on some, on, we can start splitting hair on things here. Absolutely. Like, I thought this was fantastic, tremendous. It fucking rocked. It ruled. Would I go as far as to say it was a match of the year? Not for me, because I do have a little, a few issues with the match. Nothing out of the ordinary and, and nothing that ruined my appreciation of this match. Uh, like I said, this is hair splitting, you know, like we sometimes do on the uh, on the members only stream on Fridays, you know, when we talk about Dave's reviews and I say, well, how I feel about them, you know, his star ratings and so on and so forth. Dave Meltzer. And I'm like, well, I give this a quarter or a star less, but I mean, more splitting hairs at this point. Right. This is kind of how I feel. In regards to my personal feelings about this match versus everyone else, or most people, I should say, or a lot of people, let's put it that way, a lot of people who are uh, who are clamoring on this being one of the greatest matches of all time, one of the greatest tag team matches of all time, one of the you know a five star match, a match of the year, and I can appreciate and understand, and you know, there's always a level of subjectivity. There, you know, there there is as much as there's objective 
things that you can say about a match that 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 that, that are observable that you can say, well, this was good because of that, and that was and it was bad because of this kind of thing. There are things that are that become personal preference, personal taste. I I like to think that I've got a handle on those, which is why I, I you know I'm not going to sit here and say people who think this was a five star match are insane. You know, like there's you know, WWE fans sometimes will do that with a match that is clearly not a five star match, a match of the year, and they're just going to go on and on and on about it. I mean, brother, this ain't this ain't it, but. Look, if anyone adds this to their match of the year, their top 10, their top five at the end of the year, I, you know, you're not going to get, uh, you know, you're not going to get side eyes out of me. It does. It, it, that's fine. But for me, personally speaking, this match was tremendous, just absolutely bonkers. I loved every second of this match. But it's not it's not a match of the year for me, not for me. I'll tell you why. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we're gonna let, let's just break this down a little bit. We're gonna you know just get into it here. You know what? I liked how this started. I really just you know we you know we got the bell pop and then you get um, you get Cash and Juice, who are you know they're sort of like the scrappier guys between like you you, you feel like those are like the you know. The scrappier, more hot-headed guys, despite, you know, Dax being, you know, you know. But they get into shoving match and like, oh, okay, we're getting little, little mini extra rivalries, a little extra heat, but like just specifically on these two dudes, right? Because then Jay and Dax started off, but then when Juice comes in, you know, Dax is like, no, no, brother, I want in now. You know, it's a, like, okay, I like, you know, I like this, you know, alpha male machismo shit. I, this is, this is one of these environments where I can deal with it. Um... And they took their time, right? They took their time because this was, look, last week, they went 30 minutes on one pin, you know? And again, you know, like I was watching, um, you know, I, you know, full disclosure, I watched this uh, this morning, um, Sunday morning, because I was watching Slammiversary live last night. And, you know, I was, you know, I was privy to some comments of people going, holy shit, 30 minutes, not even done yet. I'm like, no, of course it's not going to be done yet. <laughs> It's, it's it's last week they went like 28 minutes to get one pin if they had squeezed in all three within 30 minutes then i would have been like okay now wwe is booking this you know because that's a very wwe thing to do to do a two out of three falls match within 20 minutes or shit like that so of course it was going to go long and it went just short like just a, a tad over 58 minutes right 5803 according to Cage Match. And uh and Juice to start this off eats shit. He's just getting the, the tar beat out of him. And and early on, listen, we get the first pin is probably my favorite spot of the match. And there were lots of great stuff to get excited about, and there's stuff that I still got it. But the one that I'm I, I was still thinking of after I was done watching it. Uh, it was um, was when was the, the the first pin. See, Jay whips Dax Harwood into the ropes. Cash does a blind tag on Dax as Dax is bouncing off the ropes. But Juice sees this and he pops in, seeing what Cash did. Right, so he's he's on the apron on his cor in his corner, but he sees that, so he jumps in. Cash doesn't quite see him, so Cash, uh, so you know, Cash comes in to 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 screw with uh, with Jay and Dax and Juice uh, uh Juice comes in Dex Cash as Dax interrupts Jay whatever Jay wanted to do and 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 lifts him and Juice pushes Cash into Dax who tumbles to the floor Jay is there Blade Runner we're good beautiful that that to me was Tag team spectacular. That's what it was. I just, I saw the spot. I saw it happening before my eyes, and I was like, "This is extraordinary." Such great psychology. Look, this is this shows that the that that the blind tags are not always the answer to everything in in a tag team match. They're not always the answer to a tag team's woes in a match. They can. 
they can, it's not a wrinkle you see often. In fact, I'm, I was, I'm racking my brain to remember when the last time I saw a blind tag worked against the team doing the blind tag. Because usually the blind, the blind tag is, this is our way to get an advantage. This is our way to sneak one over the other team and so on and so forth. But here, it's a wrinkle you really don't see often, if ever. Here, the blind tag was used and was ineffective for the team that used it because the other team was on top of it. And then it gets me thinking even further that moving forward, like we have seen how many blind tags have we seen on the surface of, uh, of the earth, on the surface of God's green flat earth at this point in time where tag teams are, not, are, are, are still not aware that they happen. Right? Does it? Because they happen every week, every time there's a tag match, there's at least a blind, uh, most of them anyway. I don't want to say everyone because I don't want to do a blanket statement. But most of the time, there's a tag, a blind tag, and it's, it's always effective. The other team gets screwed up. You'd think that at this point, real tag team specialists would be like, no, we figured this out. We know this sauce. I'm keeping an eye out for, I'm the guy in the apron, I'm keeping an eye out for blind tags. Just fantastic stuff. And this is follow up, by, so this is how Bullet Club Gold gets their first pin. You have a really good control sequence afterwards by, uh, by Bullet Club Gold. Man, Jay White is so good. He is just so good. And his transition, to North American television has been seamless. Has he been well booked? I think he's not as bad as people want to let on, but I don't think it's been, I don't think he was used effectively upon his return. Uh, his, not his return, but his arrival, his landing, his official landing into AEW. I don't think he was used effectively. I think they should have brought him in as an international superstar. You know, push over the fact that he's a an IWGP world champion and he should have been a megastar from the get-go. That's not what we got. Is he poorly pushed? No, no, no. He's a, he was feuding with, uh, he was in a feud with CM Punk. In a group feud with CM Punk. And now he's feuding with FTR, which are CM Punk's uh, buddies. No, 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 no. He's, he is not being misused. And, what, and however way he's being used right now, he is making the most of it. And I saw a lot of the, the, the good old Juice Robinson. Uh, well, the good old Juice Robinson is, but the good old Jay White that I really, really love. Where he's sneaky, he stalls. He's just, uh, he, uh, uh, he, he plays possum. Does, uh, you know how he, how he, uh, how he's extremely just like, you know, always arrogant and, 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 and cocky in the ring and just doing shit in his mannerisms. This is a guy who understands how to be a top-tier heel in a company that has lots of great heels, but are don't they don't have one quite like him. And Jay, Jay White over the past couple, his last, his final tenure, in, in, in New Japan, reinvigorated him. He developed a whole different uh, move set. Uh, you know, people who still clasp on to the idea that Jay White is, um, is this boring wrestler with these long spots, you know, where nothing happens, these long heat spots, are pro probably have not watched anything within the past year or so, within the past 18 months or so of Jay White because his style has changed dramatically. He still has his go-tos. He's still, uh, he's still Jay White in his core. But the days of long rest spots and so on, he, he takes care of it now. He knows how to fill the gaps now he, or he's better equipped to do it. Whichever way you want to, however you want to, you, you want to walk it down. He is amazing. He did a suplex in the corner, a blind suplex in the corner. Hope he got that cleared. 
There are so many near falls here, like the one after the Redneck Boogie. I think that's what they called it. The Briscoes, you know, the Razor's Edge into the Cutter, the FTR uh, tribute. And, uh, and the other big spot of the match, which I really liked, was the powerplex that was thwarted by Jay lifting his knees onto Cash as he was falling on top of him and Juice landing a body press on Cash immediately after. That was just fantastic stuff. But FTR landed a shatter machine shortly after that for their first fall. Now this is where I get uh, quibbly. This is where we can start quibbling. Here's my first quibble. After this spot, Dax and, and, and Jay White, they fight to the floor and they tumble over the barricade, right? And then they have doctors come out and, and stuff. And I'm like, I, I, I think I am officially done with fake medical staff checking on the wrestlers spots. I think I'm done with those. I think we can stole them away. They don't, they don't do it for me anymore. Um, and it's not even a question of, oh, well, is it fake or not? Or is it, it's playing with my emotions. I don't want to get work. It's not even that. I don't even think it's effective anymore. I think it's more of a groan. I was like, ah, okay. Oh, it is a very serious bump he took, did he? Okay, all right. I think, I'm, I, I, I think we've seen them more than enough. Moratorium. Let's have them disappear for a while and bring them back when they're truly meaningful. Here I don't feel it was meaningful. They tumbled over a barricade. Don't get me wrong. I understand the nature of pro wrestling in that anything can go bad. Anything can go wrong on just, you know, the simplest of moves on just, you know, like any given moment. I understand that. So I'm not trying to minimize that these guys could never get hurt tumbling over the barricade. The point being is that in the... Since the doctors checking up on them was a work, it sh the 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 bump should have been on the level of re as far as drama, as far as perception from a fan. It should have been as high as what the angle required here. Does that make sense? The the bump should have been as high as as dramatic. As the desire, as the need to bring in the doctors. Here, I think it was a little overblown. And I got, and again, and I understand why it was there too. Little rest spot, that was fine. Uh, I, like I often like to say, just because I understand something doesn't mean I like it. But I understand all of this. I understand why it happened. But it felt out of place. It felt unnecessary. That's a quibble for me. A quibble. Jay White has another fantastic moment where he tunes up the band. He like he's gonna deliver a. a, a Sweet chin music, right? And the audience just goes, boo. I haven't talked about the audience. This crowd was into this match. You know, during the heat segments, they were doing their due diligence. But Jesus, when this, when this match picked up, at all the moments that this match demanded them to pick up, they picked up and they delivered. This crowd made this match even better. They were really into this. And... We'll talk about the crowd making matches better a little later on as well. But Jay White's tuning up the band. The Calgary crowd doesn't want anything to do with this. Shawn Michaels is enemy number one in Calgary. And he locks in a sharpshooter. Not Dax. Not Cash Wheeler. Jay White locks in the first sharpshooter of the match. And that audience doesn't care for that and that's putting it mildly and of course jay is there he's milking it how can you not love jay white what a great spot and then ftr land in double sharpshooters and then the bullet club gold on top of that that guy gets a big reaction of course and then the Bullet Club Gold, they do the DIY spot where they're holding hands. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, just a fantastic visual, a great moment. And But it leads me to my second quibble for this match. It should have ended here. I This is where the match should have ended. Because I think you had, this is where everything peaked. It came, it was shortly after the Jay White sharpshooter spot. They come back in, Dax, the Bret Hart guy, the hero, the babyface, does the sharpshooter. Oh, that dastardly Juice Robinson comes in to try and take it off of him. 
to try and, and, and save Jay White. Well, Cash is in there and he does one of his own. Double, double sharpshooters in the ring. The guys do the DIY spot. FDR see what's happening. They just walk him apart. Or Cash grabs Juice, rolls him out of the ring and Jay White taps. Or you reverse the roles, you put Juice into Jay White's role and whatever. The point being is that is where I think this match should have ended. And I, I think I would have, I'd probably be higher on it because I didn't really think the mat, the final, the, 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 the finish, excuse me, was all that great. That it was fine. But I was like, oh, you know. The match ends when Dax actually lacks in a sharpshooter on, on Juice and Juice taps out. I'm like, okay. Fine, fun, cool but not as effective as the double sharpshooter spot. And I, I really think that's where it should have ended. And I think that, you know, there, there was a little overindulgence in this match in that regard. Um, and that's, the, those two quibbles <laughs> are mostly what's keeping me from really going rah, rah, five star, rah, rah, M-O-T-Y. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I apologize. Do you forgive me? But I love the match. They got me on a couple of times in a couple of spots. I was sure we were getting new champions at a couple of spots. Convinced. The powerplex, what are we talking about? They got me completely. I'm sitting there with my, with my hands on top of my head like this. This match ruled. I don't want to give you the impression that I didn't like the match. I'm just trying to, you know, try to mitigate a little bit of the, you know, I think the somewhat, the high reaction, the high praise that this match is getting, which it should get. I'm just explaining to you why maybe I'm not on that level. But I thought this match ruled. This is one of the greatest matches in the history of AEW that we saw on a Saturday night. Well, for me on a Sunday morning, but that we saw on a Saturday night. Bear, bear with me here. Uh, uh, for free. And it lasted an hour. Close to. Like, I... This is the kind of risks that I want AEW to be able to take more and more of. This is the this is why I gravitate to AEW. I told you, you know, if you listen to the podcast this week, you know, I, you know, I brought up certain concerns regarding, you know, ratings and a certain other company and how it might influence the product that we have uh, that that exists everywhere uh, elsewhere with alternatives, the risk that, you know, WWE style storytelling ends up, you know, trickling into the promotions that exist to be alternatives to WWE. As long as AEW is conti continues to do this kind of stuff, there's I got no issues. This is a to me, this is a show of confidence. This is this is the Booker's Tony Khan telling me Warren, I heard what you said on Tuesday. Don't worry, pal. Look at what we got for you here. Now, thank you. I'm a little more reassured. A little more reassured. After the match, FTR want to shake hands. But Jay White spits on the ground. Hope he got that cleared. <laughs> and you, you know what? I think you go back and you watch it. And I think for a fraction of a second, for a fraction of a second, Jay White is about to spit in Dax's hand. But then he spits to the ground. But I think like for a fraction of a second, he was going to be like, Fantastic stuff. Let's move on. Owen Hart Foundation's women's tournament final. Willow Nightingale defeated Ruby Soho. She is your women's Owen Hart Cup winner for the year. I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was, this was pretty good. Nightingale toys with Ruby to start. Suplexes and a fisherman's buster. Ruby gets a heat segment. Nightingale lands an Oklahoma stampede and locks in a single leg, leg crab. Shout out, Lance Storm. Ruby does a distraction spot with spray paint, but it backfires on her and, and shortly thereafter, uh, 
Willow Nightingale avoids a pinfall attempt and does the pounce along with the babe with the power bomb to put Ruby away. Ruby 2 and 0, uh, 0 2 in the Owen Hart finals. Willow Nightingale getting getting the nod here. Look, what a great year this has been for 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 Nightingale. I don't know when she was penciled in to 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 win the uh to win the Owen. I couldn't tell you. Was it before, you know, was it before the Mercedes Monet match where she inadvertently became, unexpectedly, I should say, became the strong women's champion? I mean, this has been a this has been a fantastic year for her. Right now, 2023 for Willow Nightingale has been a banner year. Wrestled in Japan, came back, she is in the forefront of uh, of AEW's women divi women's division. You can argue there are women who have more screen time, who um, who wrestle more, but she is she is a fan favorite. She has developed a fan base in AEW. She goes off, you know, has the match with Monet, and uh, turns out that she, you know, she wins the title. And regardless, of, like I said previously, regardless of why it happened or in what circumstances she won it, she won it. She is the first women's strong, uh, New Japan strong women's champion. And that's, that's hers forever. Regardless of what happened, regardless of the audible, that's hers. And they put that forward on New Japan, on, um, well, on New Japan, yes, but they also put it forward on AEW. Like, this has been a very good year for her. On top of this, getting this nod. And good for her. If there's anyone who's deserving of it, it's Willow Nightingale. Our only vignette of the night, of course, involves QTV, right? The only backstage shenanigans that we get involve QTV. QT Marshall comes to the comes goes to see Powerhouse Hobbs. I guess this was taped previously because this is something that happened last week. You know when Hobbs was Hobbs lost his qualifier to Ricky Starks because of Marshall, and then QT is there and he's saying, "No, I, you know I wasn't trying to cost you the match. I was trying to tell the referee to turn around." And he says, "Look, you know I told you, uh, you know my word is my bond. I'm gonna, you know." I'm going to be there for you. What do you want from me? You know, do you need me to go beat up the biggest, baddest guy in AEW? I'll do it, you know. And Hobbs says, well, remember your word is your bond. And he leaves. QT seems satisfied with himself, but I don't think he realizes what he did. Uh, it's one of those things. Get Hobbs out of this thing as soon as possible because QTV is poison for this man. It'll be fine for Aaron Solo. It'll be fine for Harley Cameron. It'll be fine for Johnny Nitro, Johnny TV, jo Johnny whatever. It'll be fine for them. But you want Powerhouse Hobbs as far away from this bullshit as soon as possible. I would have done... I think I say this every, every, every review. But I would have pulled the... I would have just done a hard break... And just have Hobbs and, and QT never share airtime ever again. Not ever, never requiring an explanation. It doesn't matter. I don't need it. I just want them separate from each other as soon as possible. Kings of the Black Throne defeated Artemis Spencer and Randy Myers in a squash match. And then after the match, uh, Andrade El Idolo. Came to, uh, came to the ring, he appeared at the top of the ramp and he was coming to get his mask, but referees interfere. And uh, what is, how does this work? What is the standard here? When do referees come in to keep wrestlers from attacking each other? When do they not? How was this preemptive? Why was this preemptive from the referees here? I don't understand. But they were there and they kept our boy Andrade from uh, getting his mask back. Malachi sits in the ring, taunts him with the mask. And then the main event, the Owen Hart Foundation 
men's tournament final. Ricky Starks defeated one Bill Phil. Boy, what a mixed reaction our boy, our boy Brooks got, didn't he? Or as we say in Canada, what a mixed reaction, eh? And and I wasn't sure. Like, I, I you know, it sounded pretty vociferous. And I was like, wow, this sounded a lot like uh, what he got in Toronto. I'm just sitting there and I'm listening to this. And you know the moment that I, I knew that he was getting more heat than booze, uh, than cheers, excuse me is when he came out and he had a big grin on his face and he was doing this and he was that. And he wasn't that because he enjoys that shit. Because CM Punk wants to be a heel in this company. He wants to. But right now, creative is like, oh, let's, let's, get, let's get this show off on, a, you know, on its feet right now. But Calgary, Alberta, Canada, home of Bret Hart, couldn't give a shit about the Bret Hart guy. Overall, not saying that he didn't have his supporters, but clearly the detractors were much more, which were much more present. And this antagonistic crowd, I'll tell you what, I think this, by the way, I liked the match. I thought it was well worked, but I, here's the thing. I think this antagonistic crowd did two things to this match. First of all, I think it made it better. <laughs> I really do. I think that if we had had a crowd just about anywhere else, not as into it, not as, as 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 crazy loud for it, I don't think it would have worked as well. I think we'd be sitting here going mid, but I think the crowd elevated this match. I think it made it better. But at the same time, I think that the crowd played against the story they were trying to tell in this match, which ultimately is Ricky Stark's turning Becoming a heel. Ricky getting his ass whooped the entire match. Crowd was behind him. And I really think, and I really think that not necessarily that CM Punk was supposed to be a heel, but I think like the, I think the overall message here was CM Punk is outclassing Ricky Starks in this match. Because we got a ton of hope spots. But Ricky can't change shit together. And there's a big reaction when Ricky gets that first spear. Then Punk goes for a Rana. Uh, off the top, off the uh, second rope or something. Uh, then he gets rolled up into a pinning package. Then there's some back and forth between the two. Until Ricky gets the win. Rolling up CM Punk. And holding on to the ropes. And this is the important thing that I feel was lost here because the crowd was so hot for Ricky and so adamant against Punk. Because have you ha if you had the reverses roll, the, 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 the reverses rolled, the rolls reversed, um, I, think, I, I think Ricky's actions here would have been a lot more glaring. Would have been a lot more, wow, Ricky Starks cheated to win like that. Ultimately, that's what we're, that's the story. That's what we're getting. What I'm saying is, and the moment in the ring maybe wasn't as effective because the crowd was already against CM Punk. So they're probably like, whatever means necessary, get the win over this asshole kind of thing. Do you get what I mean? And I'm, so... And it's a, it's a weird one because, like I said, I feel like the crowd helped make this match better because they were so into this. But I also think it, the, the reactions, the overall reactions from the crowd muddied the waters a little bit and the heel signal that was sent here wasn't quite clear. It did get clearer, but not in that specific moment. You don't get the idea. It's like, oh, there's a turn that just happened here. So, um, and, and look, here's the other thing that we have to point out. You can, you know, we, we can all sit here and complain about Phil Brooks and, you know, how much time, mind space he takes up and, 
and 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 you know how much CM Punk is you know there's CM Punk fatigue and we're we're done with them and you know he shouldn't be back and whatnot. I was in a crowd of people that just came completely disjointed when this man walked in. Look at the reactions he got last night. Like he, what again? Whatever you want to think about him is fine. I myself have very clear thoughts, but you cannot take away, and from a purely analytical perspective here, this is one of these observable things that even if your emotions get in the way, you can't really deny. He brings an entire different energy to those shows. People have, a, are, have stances on CM Punk and they let them know. They let him know. They let AEW know. Who else on this roster gets reactions like that? So visceral, so real. Don Callis maybe, but you know that oscillate between heel and babyface and whatnot is like, you can absolutely make a case for you know, whether or not it was a good idea for AEW to bring Phil Brooks back, but the point is that Phil Brooks is in the ring and it's a whole different ball game. The energy of the room changes. The match, the, 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 the meaning of the match changes. Everything changes. Anyway, I enjoyed the match. I didn't think it was great or anything. But I thought it was fine. I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. I think it was good because of the crowd. But yeah, the, look, the Ricky ultimately pulled one over old Phil. I think we're, you know, I think it's clear we're getting a turn. The seeds were set last week, right? You remember last week there was a a, a post-match rescue by CMFTR and uh, after a match and then, you know, Ricky Starks then came out and the guys were like, come on, come in, you know, come join us. And Ricky Starks was like, no. And I think at that point it was fair to, to guess, like I figured it was like, oh, well, you know, he has a match with CM Punk this week. Uh, next week he doesn't want to, you know, he, there's, a, there's a, a professional distance he wants to keep here. And, you know, you can appreciate that. But no, the seat was set. It was set. And um, yeah. Just came in, stole the win from CM Punk. And then, look, I don't know if if you all watched um, Battle of the Belts after, but, you know, I'm not going to review Battle of the Belts because <coughs> Battle of the Belts is kind of trash. Um, but, uh, you know, th just for the tie-in here, because uh, this spills into Battle of the Belts, Ricky celebrating in the ring. He gets out of the ring, walks up, and there's Jushin Thunder Liger. He had announced, well, he said that he was on his way to Calgary. He wasn't announced to be there, but he was say, you know, he tweeted out on Friday that he was on his way or something like that, or Thursday. Jushin Thunder Liger, of course, you know, one of Owens's um one of Owens um Owen Hart's, of course, uh, 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 most significant opponents, one of his most important opponents in Japan, uh, you know, friendship that ensued, so on and so forth. Uh, he came to, he, he flew from Japan to give the cup to the winner and Ricky Starks is just storming up the ramp. Jushin Thunder Liger, motherfucker legend, is right there. He's in full gear. He's got the mask. He's got the cape. He's got the, you know, the, the, the shoulder pads. He's got the whole nine yards and he's there and he's got the cup. And Ricky Starks just bolts, but stomps past him and yanks it out of his hand. And I am laughing my ass off. That is the funniest thing I have seen in pro wrestling in a while. Jushin Thunder Liger flies in, takes a flight from Japan to, uh, to the, the, the prairies of Canada. Puts on, he drags his gear, puts it all on, steps out, and 
Ricky Starks just yanks the cup out of his hand and then cheers at the top of the ramp and then walks away. Well, Liger's like, all right, thank you. And he bows and he leaves. I could not have, that was some brilliant story right there. And you can, so Ricky is a heel. He's a, he's going to be a, a, he's going to be a heel. And I, you know, you can see what direction this is going to go, but not even acknowledging Hall of Famer. Jush and Thunder Liger and just grab, yoinking the cup out of his hand. It's just brilliant stuff. And I laughed so hard. Because when you think about everything that was put in place to have Liger come over to make this feel special, the significance of Liger and Owen's career, all of this reduced to pfft, that's what a heel does. That is exactly what a heel does. Ricky Starks doesn't give a shit about this old dude and his relation to the dead dude. Not, how far he had to travel, he couldn't care less. He wasn't, he wasn't about to share this spot with anyone. I loved it. The absurdity of pro wrestling hit me full force on this one. I was like, fuck yeah, Jushin Thunder Liger. <laughs> That was great. And they had a nice little ceremony in Battle of the Belts, which was had nice little decorum and uh, nice nice speech by uh, um, Martha Hart there to class up the place. Tony Khan with his fucking cowboy hat. What a meme. What a walking meme that man is. That's collision. Battle of the Belts. Look, listen, here, here's the thing. I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to talk about it uh, on the podcast as well, but I might as well hear since, you know, I touched on it and, you know, and I said, you know, cause it's, it's kind of trash. It is kind of trash. Battle of the Belts is absolutely kind of trash. When is the last time? Look, here's, when this started, I was excited because I was like, yes, the super cards are back, right? Because this was all in the, you know, when they were starting this like last year and there were rumblings about it previous, I was like, let's go bring the super cards back. Not quite a pay-per-view, but a super card, right? Because, you know, AEW had started doing this with Dynamites, giving them, you know, special names and whatnot. And even NXT had gotten into it. And I was like, I, and this is shit that, it, it's silly, basic stuff, but it makes things feel important. And I was like, let's go. Quarterly super cards. I'm excited for it. And 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 they have been, I believe, consistently worse as they've been progressing. The more battle of the belts we've had, the worse they've been. I think the matches have are slapdash. There's no thought put into it. Do you know the last time? Do you know when is the last time a title change happened on that show? It was Sammy Guevara and Scorpio Sky on Battle of the Belts 2, which was in April of 2022. And the last really great match that we got there, a match that you're like, okay, you have to tune in and you have to watch this, was Claudio Castagnoli versus Kinesuke Takeshita at Battle of the Belts 3, which was last year. We are up to 7 now. What is it now? Yeah, seven. That show last night stunk. Nothing of value happens on the show. Nothing happens, period, on the show. And I'm not just talking title matches. Nothing progresses. No angles. There's nothing. It is legitimately an extra hour of rampage that happens every, every, every quarter. It's not for me. If it if this is for you, if you're if you watch Battle of the Belts and you're into it and you love it, I'm like, all right, cool, uh, good for you. But I am not shitting around when I tell you that I think that I think Battle of the Belts is dismal. I thought last night's show was probably the worst, and we didn't even get to see most of it. 
What is this, GCW? Like, who knows what the upcoming deal with Warner Bros. has? I, who knows? But as it stands right now, this show can absolutely uh, fall off a cliff. And, you know, no one will blink twice. I don't think there will be anyone out there. If there is never another Battle of the Belts, I don't think there's anyone out there who's going to go, ah, gosh darn it. No one. Those shows are ineffective. They're slapdash. They're hastily put together. There's nothing to them. The matches are mid to bad. We have to go back to 2022, a full year ago, even longer, to find things that are meaningful and or great. We're going to end it on that note. I like Collision. I like the main event. I, of course, loved, 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 loved the opener. Uh, but, um, and, and, you know, what was in between was fine. You know, I, it's, it's okay. You're, you're, you've been dominated by a, a one-hour tag team match. What do you want? Who's going to follow that? It's fine. Um, but, yeah, no, I enjoyed it overall. Again, Collision, a diff very different than Dynamite. And I hope we continue down that path and I hope you continue down the path of Mr. Warren Hayes being in your life subscribe to the channel uh, join me follow me on your podcast applications and uh, don't forget G1 uh, coverage is going on right now so it's a good time to subscribe if you want to get my daily thoughts reviews and recaps on what's going on in New Japan Pro Wrestling's big annual tournament uh, go right ahead that's I'm where you need to be and uh, otherwise, I will be back on Tuesday for another edition of the Mr. Warren Hayes Show. So in the meantime, I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. And I will see you next time.